Nice to see you. Uh, just a great week the last seven days. How many of you were with us Sunday night with Dr. A.J. Swoboda? Oh, a bunch of you. Wasn't that amazing? It was so good. Oh, my goodness. God showed up. And, uh, you know, we're, we're covering some hard topics. Some hard topics are hitting us uh, just in life and uh, bringing the scriptures to bear, helping us. Uh, AJ helped us to just kind of understand some things. More to come on that, as we said. Also, we had 16 of us go to uh, Tijuana, Mexico on Monday to build a house. And we had oh, it was an awesome trip, guys. It was so great. You would have been proud of it. We repped Redeemers well. We built it. We built that house, and I mean, we're like Nehemiah's people. We were just like, bam, just built this. And this this lady, uh, her name's Isabel. She has a home with her two kids. Single mom sells donuts, makes donuts in the morning. Ten dollars a day is what her salary is, and uh, she now has a brand new house. She's out of the cold, out of the rain. It's safe, and uh, man, it was it was incredible. God showed up. More to come on that, but thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, I have a I have my DJ voice on. It's a little bit bug here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you're just, it's, it's probably going to make the sermon better. So, um, <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and dive in. Now we're in Nehemiah, as Scott said, and we're looking at this old Testament book, uh, that, that looks about, that tells us how to fix broken things. There's just so many broken things in this life and how do God works through people. God works through people to fix through brokenness. God uses good leadership to, to fix what's broken. Uh, what's broken here, as we've said, is the city of Jerusalem. It's broke down everywhere. Specifically, the wall around the city has been down for 140 years. And so the Lord sends Nehemiah on a 900-mile journey to fix this wall. The uh, Israelites are unprotected. They're unsafe. They're constantly harassed on all sides by their enemies. They can't grow. They can't worship. The temple's there. The temple's been rebuilt, but there's very little worship. There's very little revival. There's very little vitality spiritually. Brokenness everywhere. Where So the wall project is critical. Now, in chapter 6, where we are today, the wall is almost done. Oh, my goodness. The wall is just about there. It's taken a lot, hasn't it? Taken a lot to get us almost to the finish line. Work, blood, sweat. Toil, tears, organization, prayer, courage, a lot of fighting against the opposition. We've talked about opposition a number of times, uh, but it's not quite done yet. The wall, we've got a little bit to go. And the, and, and the enemies of God, they're up to it again. Oh my, these people never go away. They're always there. They're annoying. They're, they're weasels. They're, they're jerks. Uh, we don't like them. And it's because they're attempting to stop God's people from accomplishing God's purposes. And we've said this, remember, whenever, whenever you as a, as a Christian, whenever you say yes to God, to, to his plan, you're going to have opposition. It's just there, always. It's a universal. And so uh, these are the, this, we see it here. They never stop. They, they don't ever reconcile either. These, in this case, the guys never come around. They never like, oh, you know what? Let me reconsider. Nope, they never do. Uh, they're just, they're not sorry. And now they're in desperation mode because it's about to be finished, at least the wall part of the book. So let's go there. We're going to go through the whole chapter today. It's got three main sections, so we're going to kind of bop around in there. Let's read verses 1 through 9. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can follow along, and, uh, and then we'll make some comments. You have some notes, too. You can pull those out. Here's what it says. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies, they were the enemies, when they heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up at that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, come. 
Let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono, which is where Yoko is from, okay? <laughs> you encourage it, all right? It's not my fault. But let's keep reading. But they intended, but they intended, hey, have a meeting. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I, why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, verse five, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me. This time he's an open letter in his hand. What'd the letter say? And it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem says it too. <laughs> All right, they're just morons, aren't they? Okay. Th that you, Nehemiah, and the Jews intend to rebel, and that is why you were building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also, you have set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. What are the prophets saying? There is a king in Judah. And now, Nehemiah, the real king, will hear of these reports. He's a narc. Oh, my goodness. He's a liar. So now, let it, so then at the end of the letter, so now come and let us take counsel together. And then Nehemiah says, I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out your mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. And then he prays, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Okay, so this is pretty familiar territory now. We see these guys. Uh, here's a summary of this section. Same old enemies, same tactics, you know, same stuff. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, you recognize these names. They keep popping up. These three, these three uh, stooges have been there since the start. Uh, they're doing the same things. Here's just a list of what we see in here and what, what's happened. They're, they're using slander and rumors and threats and pretend peace and false reports and twisted details and distraction and diversion, character assassination. It's kind of a new one. Death by meetings. That's a new one. But it's just the same stuff. If, if rumors, guys, if rumors and slander don't work, uh, then, then it's death by meetings. <laughs> uh, more meetings, meetings. Let's have a meeting about this. We need to call a meeting right away. Uh, and then they ask him over and over and over again for meetings. Anybody ever do this to you? Hey, let's have a meeting. Let's have a meeting. And you're like, I don't want to have a meeting. Your meetings are dumb. They're boring. I fall asleep. Uh, you don't have a train of thought that's worth it. Uh, and then there, and it's just over and over again. There's handwritten invitations. Hey, Nehemiah, come to this meeting. Hey, Nehemiah, come to this peace summit we're having. Hey, Nehemiah, uh, as a local leader, we're having a conference of other local leaders. We're all going to meet at the conference center in Ono. There's a swimming pool. You can bring your family. We have a private chef there. We're having, we're having some speakers. We're having some workshops. We're having some, a local representative from each re I mean, it just, blah, it goes on and on and on, right? But it's a trap. Let's sit down and work through our differences together. It's a trap. Uh, the commentators tell us that they're probably setting an ambush to kill him. But every time, Nehemiah, he's smart, isn't he? He's wise. He's on to it. He's like, no, no, 
Hey, let's have a meet. No. Hey, this meeting request. No, 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 no. Just say no, 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 no. Feels good, doesn't it? If the enemy can't stop you through threats and character assassinations, he's tried. Here's what the enemy does. Delay, 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 distract, 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 divert, divert, divert. And good leadership is knowing when to say no. You got to say no sometimes. You got to say no. This is Nehemiah is teaching us to say no. You got to say no uh, once in a while. And maybe sometimes you're in seasons where you have to say no a lot, but good leadership is knowing when to say no. You have to say no to requests. You have to say no to people. You have to say no to time. You have to say no to attention. You can't say yes to everything and accomplish what God wants you to do. And you can say an amen to that or just nod or something. This is like so critical. It's so critical. But we want to say yes. Don't we want to say yes? We love to say yes. Have you ever said yes and wish you said no? <laughs> I mean, it's just so true. Uh, saying yes to everything is a surefire way to be an ineffective person because you got to focus on your core objectives. you got to understand what the Lord's called you to do and be laser-focused on that. And sometimes there's some things that will come to distract and you just got to say no to that. you got to filter that out, even if it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a good thing that comes your way and you're like, wow, that sounds really cool. But it's still a no because it's not necessarily your good thing. And this is, this is good. Good leadership is learning to say no. And as Christians, we do this lovingly. Uh, and this is true in any profession, but it is especially helpful when it comes to God's will. Now, here's the other thing. There's people, I don't know if you've noticed this in life, but there's some people who are never going to be satisfied. Do you know some people like this? They're never satisfied. They're never placated. They're just always needy. There's always a thing. There's always a complaint. There's always a, but you're not meeting my needs and da, 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 right? You know this? And you especially need to learn to say no to those folks. And that's what Nehemiah does. He says no to people who will not be satisfied. He identified these guys, right? He knew the, the Geshem and these guys. Uh, they don't want God, all right? They're just no, there's no middle ground. He wants the Lord. They do not want the Lord. There is no like coming to an agreement here. And they're going to just keep coming back and keep coming back. And Nehemiah was on to them. And so he says no. Ah, oh, Say no to someone this week. <laughs> Use wisdom. And guys, don't necessarily say no to your wife, OK? That's not just be led by the spirit there. All right. Uh, now, these are familiar tactics. Next section, we see some new stuff. Uh, a new person comes on the scene. Is he a friend? Let's read verse 10. Now I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of uh, Deliah, son of Mahetabel, who was confined to his home. Don't know why he was kind of confined to his home. I have no idea. Shemaiah. Shemaiah said, Nehemiah, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And then I understood and saw that God had not sent Shemaiah 
But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Oh. <laughs> For this purpose, Shemaiah was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat? He prays, remember them, God. Oh, my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. All right, so interesting, interesting. Something we haven't seen, a new person, uh, and, he's, and he's not a friend. Uh, he's a new enemy, and this presents a new challenge to Nehemiah. Here's what's going on. There's a plot unfolding here. Here's the gist of the plot. These bad guys are going to lure Nehemiah to privately compromise. They're going to get him into a compromising situation, and then they're going to catch him and then trash his rep publicly. Rep is reputation in street language, okay? I'm street, okay? I got street cred. So that's your, that's your fill-ins. Lure Nehemiah to privately compromise and then trash him publicly. Make him sin, then publicize that sin, and then post it on their socials. Post it on their Twitter. Their Twitter's going to blow up. Hey, look at this great leader of yours, God's people. And then the idea would be that everyone would stop following him. Oh, wow, this guy that we're following, he's not for real. And so the wall stops being built. That's, that's the idea. The enemies win. Nehemiah loses. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That's the plot. That's what these guys are working on. The God's people are working on a wall, and this is what they're working on, this dark and twisted plan. But, <clears throat> but once again, Nehemiah is, he's onto it. He's onto it. God, God is protecting this man. He's got wisdom and discernment. And he figures out, he figures this out, and he doesn't, he doesn't fall trick to this compromising situation. He learns that Shemaiah was hired by Tobiah and Sanballat. They hired him to reach out under false pretenses and then enact this, this plot, and it failed. Now, okay, so let's talk about compromise, because this was a compromising situation, and I think this, this part here brings up the idea of compromise, the concept of compromise. It's a real thing. How many of you know that? It's everywhere. Compromise is everywhere. And, and compromise will undermine your integrity, and it'll undermine the work of God in your life. It just will. Compromise is everywhere, and we read about it all the time, don't we? News stories abound. In fact, there's some kind of like, I don't know, unhealthy infatuation with reading about other people's compromise. I think the news people understand that. We read about greed and lust, leaders who, who fall to dishonest gain. I, I was writing this section of the sermon and right before, I just happened to be reading the news, the financial news, and there was a story on this. There was a guy, a, a tech CEO uh, of a company who had been charged by the SEC, SEC for defrauding his company. Here's what this guy did. He used company funds to purchase a personal $16 million jet, a half million dollar Ferrari, and a luxury suite at the local football stadium, funding a lavish personal lifestyle while he didn't pay his employees. He's not the brightest, you know, bulb in the drawer, right? This guy. And he gets caught. But 
That's just an obvious example. Happened this last week. Compromise oftentimes, though, comes in much subtler forms. It typically starts small, and it kind of sneaks around. It's maybe innocent, innocent seeming. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Just, just a little bit of gossip. Ooh, spill the tea, you know. <laughs> tell me, tell me more. And then you, you know, you kind of go with that. Just a little fudging of the numbers on the tax returns, or uh, just a little flirting online. What can that? Oh, it's just it's an old high school friend and flirting. Just a, just a couple of more beers, whatever. Just compromise. It just it sneaks in. But guys, guys, listen. Over time, those little compromises will start to grow, and they grow and they grow, and those small character slips become big character slips over time. And it's happened slow, but it's, it's, it's a thing. And that is going to impact your ability to see God work through you, move through you. It's going to impact your relationships around you with people, your family, your friends, your loved ones. It's going to impact your relationship with God. If there's sin in there, if there's compromise constantly nipping at you, it's, you're going to start to feel far from God and you're going to feel like, oh, God doesn't hear my prayers. And you're just like, why? And it's, it's just, this is what happens. So Nehemiah, he, 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 he gives us a model about how to, how to overcome compromise. It's right here. And, and you can use your notes. And, and this model, I think, is helpful. It's very simple. There's no, nothing new here, but it's worth, I think, looking at. Here's the model. How did he overcome compromise? The first thing is that Nehemiah, he knew his Bible. He knew his Bible because the meeting request from Shemaiah, if you remember, was specifically to meet in the temple. Hey, let's go in the temple. Let's meet in the temple. And that doesn't sound like such a bad thing. The other guys wanted to meet, you know, in Ono, uh, and, and, and instead now there's a new thing, and it's like, okay, but he's like, not just the temple, let's close the doors of the temple, which means they're going to the interior of the temple. And this was completely scripturally a no-no. The, the interior of the temple was off limits to anyone who wasn't a priest. Nehemiah wasn't a priest, remember, he's just a regular bloke. And he's not a priest. And so this is in the scriptures, guys. The scriptures in Numbers chapter 3, verse 10, in Numbers chapter 18, verse 7, the Lord says multiple times, nobody, nobody's allowed in the interior of the temple except the priests, except the Levites, because there's a, there's a holiness system. The Lord is, is holy God, and he's got these parameters around his presence. And so he has appointed the Levites and the priests in the Old Testament to, to minister in, this, in the interior, but no one else is allowed. And this is serious. There's an example of someone who violated this in 2 Chronicles 26. There's a king, a king of Israel. He's a big fella. He's a big dude. King Uzziah, right? Holy guy. God spoke to him. But Uzziah, he, 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 he violates this and he goes into the temple and the Lord, the Lord disciplines him and strikes him down with leprosy. This is in the scriptures. Nehemiah knew these scriptures. Nehemiah knew about numbers. He knew, he knew that he knew the law. And he knew, he knew the story of Uzziah, undoubtedly. And so he knew his Bible. And he's like, oh, you want me to go in and sin, Shemaiah? No. The answer is no. So he overcame. But there's just two parts of this. Because not only did he know his Bible, your next fill-in, he obeyed his Bible. He knew the scriptures, and then he obeyed the scriptures. There's a lot of folks who actually know their Bibles pretty well. Uh, or know the Bible pretty well. I've, I've learned this, like just talking with people, 
they know what the scriptures say and they've read the scriptures, they studied the scriptures. Uh, there's a ton of people who've been to seminary. There's a ton of people who've been to Bible college. There's a ton of people who've, who've been in churches and environments or just read the Bible. And then, unfortunately, there's so many people, though, that not only know their Bible, but they ignore their Bible. And they just do their own thing. They know what the Bible says. I don't want to do that. I don't want to obey that. I don't want to follow that. And they do their own thing. And so just knowing your Bible, guys, is not going to safeguard any of us from compromise because we've got to apply the scriptures, knowing and obeying the scriptures, applying the scriptures. A lot of people are like, hey, Billy, why don't you teach us some new stuff in the Bible? And I, I love that. I like to learn new stuff in the Bible, but sometimes I just go, can't we just talk about the stuff that we're not obeying and then just get that first before we move on to something new? I got nobody, amen, and that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so like, like this is the thing. So, so as a church, we love the scriptures. You know this. We've been around Redeemers. We love the scriptures so much. We study the scriptures, but we want to also apply the scriptures. And so, so one of the big reasons why we have a community ministry, a community department here, is for this very purpose. If you, if you uh, come to these sermons regular these weekends, you'll, you'll get these notes. And then if you flip the notes, did anybody have a, flip the notes over? And those are, those are for the community group Bible study that happens midweek. And what that is, is we're looking at what we taught on Sunday, and then we're digging in, and we're, we're talking in a smaller group setting about how to apply it. And that's, that's, what, that's what community is. Community is... Is, yeah, we're doing life together and we're making friends and we're supporting and loving each other, but we're also learning the scriptures and we're learning how to apply the scriptures together. And some of these scriptures are challenging and we need to talk about them and we need to, hey, how do you, how has this played out in your life? And you hear someone's story and then you bounce off of that and then, and then you guys hold each other accountable as believers. And, and this is such a huge thing. It's just so important. It's not just learning stuff and then going and doing your own thing. It's learning God's ways and doing God's ways. And the community uh, department here, our ministry is, is, is dedicated to that. And I hope that uh, if you're not in a community group, you can get in one at any time. Just let us know and our staff will give you a call and, and we'll talk about where to put you in a group uh, and so that you can get going on this. And this is a big thing. Okay, That's, uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this, is, this is critical, uh, knowing and obeying the scriptures. And then another item of note is that Nehemiah was discerning with his relationships. He didn't just hang out with anybody. He was wise and thoughtful about who he was associated with. He was cautious about who he led into his inner circle. And this goes for us. Guys, we, no, nobody likes to compromise. I mean, don't you feel terrible when you compromise? You just, you know, the Holy Spirit, just, oh my goodness, it's just no good. And a big part of ridding our lives, filtering our compromise out of our life is, is having the, the right people around you. People influence us. This is part of what it means to be a human being. We're created by God for that, with that in mind. And so therefore, we have to be cautious about who we let influence us because if the primary relationships in your life are people that influence you to compromise biblical morals and values, then eventually you're going to compromise biblical morals and values. It's just you're in the mix of it. It's, it's how it works. 
And so therefore, we have to be cautious about who we let into our basement, who we let into the influential level of our relationships. Now, for Nehemiah, here's what he did on this point is it's pretty obvious, but he said no to the obvious compromisers. We've said this several times. He didn't, he didn't even go there with the obvious enemies of God. These guys were up front. They were like not wanting the Lord at all. And they were very vociferous about it. He doesn't relate to them. They keep showing up. He keeps saying no. Now, there's people in your life who fit this profile. They're, that, that are just people you know you, that you know. Like at this point, they don't want God. They don't want God. They're like, they want nothing to do with God. You have people like this in your life. And they're open about it. And they're upfront about it. And you're not judging them. You're not like, no, we're not judging them. There's something refreshing about that, actually, isn't there? You're just like, oh, wow, I know who you are. And, but the, the response is to, to not necessarily get them out of your life, but it's to limit their influence over you in your relational circles. As a Christ follower, it's wisdom to say no for allowing those folks to influence you at a deep level. Does that make sense? Okay, but the next one, not everybody's so obvious, and so here's what he did next, is he ended quickly with the fakers. He ended quickly with the fakers. There was fakers. Do you know there's fakers? There's pro- is there some kind of song about that? I don't know, maybe there is. There should be. I'm going to write it myself. <laughs> I'm already starting to rhyme it right now. I'm not going to share it. It's too, it's too early. Don't you shake her with the faker. Uh, I don't know. That's terrible. It's garbage. All right. So back to this. So Nehemiah goes to this guy's house because he probably seemed like he was for real. We think he lived inside Jerusalem near the temple. And so possibly he was somehow related to people in Jerusalem and and he just looked like somebody Nehemiah could relate to, so he goes to his house. But Shemaiah, Shamiah, he was a sham friend, right? A fake friend. And Nehemiah figured it out quickly. And as soon as he figured it out, he just, he dropped it. He's like, ah, no, survey says no. Like, you don't get access to me. He's not going to allow this guy to influence him away from God's plan. And I think there's something there for us here as well. And there are people in our lives that appear to be a true friend in the Lord, but then when you get around them, they consistently pull you away from God's purposes, God's word. I've had people in my life like this uh, who've, who just have, it's like, you know, at different times, it seemed like that they were following Jesus, and then I get around, and it's like, whoa, you don't even, like, man, you're not even at all on the same level, but you're using the terminology And so it's okay to end that person's interior influence in your life as well. That's going to help you overcome. Let me just go to the, they're in in the dating scene for our single, our Christian men and women who are single and you're dating. There are Shemayas everywhere who are fakers. They're like, oh, I'll meet you at church. Let's go on a date at church. Take me to church. That is a song. Uh, You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'll meet you at church. Oh, I'm a Christian. And then you get around them and they're not. They're fakers. And it's because they want something else. 
So we're praying for you, for those of you who are single and trying to sort through this. And I think, I think there's something to pull away. Uh, maybe there's a faker right now in your life and you're just like, okay, this is prompting you to maybe limit that person's influence. Okay, and then lastly, we gotta, we gotta dive into this one. Nehemiah didn't cave to the peer pressure when it came to forming these relationships. And to, to teach us, I need, to, I need us to go to verse 17. So follow along with me in verse 17. Here it is on the screen. Check this out. This is sad. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah... Who are the, the nobles of Judah are Israelites. They're, they're same team as Nehemiah. These are the rulers, the leaders of Israel, some of them. Check it out. What were they doing? They sent many letters to Tobiah. To who? Who's Tobiah? I'm so glad you're following. Good. <laughs> Tobiah is an enemy. And furthermore, Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by an oath to him. What? Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehonan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they, meaning the nobles, spoke of his, of Tobiah's good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah, on the side, was sending me letters to make me afraid. Did you know this about Tobiah? So what we think is happening here is, so the, again, the Jewish nobles were, they were, the, they were those who were helping, supposed to help build the wall and rally their resources and their people. But here we find out in chapter 6 that they were partners with Tobiah, some of them. And we think Tobiah had married a Jewish wife, and then they had a son, and that son grew up, and then that son married a Jewish wife. And so Tobiah kind of looked like one of the fam. He looked like he had the environment like, hey, I'm kind of Jew, I'm Jewish, okay, I'm Jewish, and so, so, so the leaders, the Jewish leaders, they bought into him. Now, probably what was happening is they were doing business with Tobiah because they were exchanging letters or contracts. They were talking about their business dealings, we think, and so the Jewish leaders liked Tobiah, some of them, and then they were telling Nehemiah, Bro, why are you so down on Tobiah? He's a good dude. You have him all wrong. Tobiah is solid. Tobiah is, let me tell you about a good thing he did once. This is how I picture it. Once me and my wife, we were out and our camel broke down. And, um, and Tobiah shows up and he gives us his camel. And then he says, you know what? Just keep the keys to the camel. It's yours. And it was like, oh my goodness, this dude is a good dude, man. He's a good guy. And I hear he's, you know, Nehemiah, come on. He, I hear he wants to connect with you. He's invited you to the conference center in Ono. I suggest you go. You, you need to really rethink how you've categorized him. I, I, I feel for Nehemiah right now. Don't you feel for him? 
there was this, so he was getting pressure. There was outside pressure from the enemies. And now there's inside pressure. There's peer pressure for him to cave. Meanwhile, they're telling Tobiah Nehemiah's moves. And Tobiah is using that against Nehemiah privately by sending him threatening letters on the side. This guy was one jacked up dude. He was playing both sides. Beware, my friends, of people who play both sides. There are people who are Tobias. They play both sides. They're buddies with the nobles, then threatening to kill Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is the only one who saw it. He's the only one who saw it. And Nehemiah, thank God, doesn't cave. Talk about a tough situation, but he doesn't budge. He's the only one who didn't, who didn't cave to this guy. Because why? A snake is a snake is a snake. A Tobiah is a Tobiah is a Tobiah. A hole in the boat is a hole in the boat is a hole in the boat. A jerk is a jerk is a jerk. And Nehemiah was like on it. And he doesn't cave to the peer pressure. He calls it out. And the social pressure here was real. And this could be in your life. There could be people in your life who are playing both sides. There could be someone that you see their real self. You're like, oh, wow, I saw something. I saw something in that person. But then all your other friends are like, no, bro, come on, that dude is great. And you're like, meh, I don't know, I don't know. And notice that Nehemiah is not trying to convince the nobles otherwise. I've tried that. That don't work. Because then you end up being, the, you end up looking like the jerk trying to prove somebody else is the real jerk to all the friends that don't think that person's a jerk. I don't know what I just said, but I think I made sense. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I, I, so he's just chill about it, and then he sticks to the path. Look at this. Psalm 1-1 speaks of this. This is another passage. It speaks directly. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This is Tobiah. He's wicked. He's a sinner. He's a scoffer. And Nehemiah says, no, thank you. Being careful with your relationships is a key to eliminating compromise. All right, let's go to the last section. We're just about done. Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So here it is. This is the, really the end of this section of the book. It's done in 52 days. I love this. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole book because it's the, it's the result after fighting all the battles and overcoming the fear and overcoming all of the challenges. God's blessing was poured out upon this team, this people of God. They were focused. They were unified. And they did it. There was cooperation, and, and there was hard work, and there was great leadership and great craftsmanship. The, the wall is still standing today, 24, 500 years later, part of it anyway. 
You can go to Jerusalem and look at it and touch it. And you're looking and touching at the scriptures in the realness of, of the thing. It's there. And all of the planning and all the prayer and all the provision. And now the people can be safe. Now the people can grow. Now the people can start freely worshiping. Guys, this right here is the hinge point on the, on the Old Testament narrative. Right here in this verse, precisely here, is when the people of God begin to start re-upping their worship and revival comes that lasts all the way until Jesus some 450 years later. This is so incredible. The enemies now are the ones who are, are filled with fear. They've been shoveling out fear left and right. All of a sudden, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Take a step back. They're on their heels. And this is what can happen when it all comes together under the, blending, ban, uh, the banner of God's blessing. This is what can happen when God's people answer the call of God and become the people of God and say yes to his plan. This is what can happen when a church does this, when a church can come together and a church can say yes on the things that we need to say yes to and no on the things we need to say no to. And when a church can lock arms with one another and everybody uses their gifts and their talents and their resources for their part of the wall, we're all building this same wall and we can all come together and accomplish way more as a miracle of God than we could individually or by ourselves. It takes great people of God, leadership and unity to fix the broken things of this world. And here we see a shining example of what you and I and redeemers can imitate and put into practice and live out in our lives today as we build our wall, so to speak. And so I'm so encouraged as we come to this part of the book. Now, there's much, much more in here. We've got about seven chapters to go. But for today, I would like to just pray and seal this part in our hearts. Would you bow your heads with me, please? So, Lord, we come to you now in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for, for the man, Nehemiah. We thank you for how you worked in his life and how he still is an example for us today. I'm praying, Lord, that you would help us to understand and know the scriptures like Nehemiah and help us, Lord, by your grace to put the scriptures into practice and to not only know the scriptures, but to apply the scriptures. Lord, we need your grace to do this. Nobody does this perfect. We just, we just need you, Lord, to work through our lives to give us, Lord, what we need for life and godliness. And I'm praying, Lord, also to that end, that you would, you would bring the, the, the core relationships around us to encourage us and to inspire us and to pour into us so that we might keep going in the face of opposition. For some of us, there's relationships in our lives that are kind of bad. They're just not right for us, maybe for the reasons we said here and other reasons. I'm praying, Lord, that you would give each person wisdom on how to navigate that and to limit the influence of the fakers, of those who seem like they're real and are not, of the compromisers, obvious. And Lord, help us, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you that the grace of Jesus is not earned. And it's only, Lord, by the love and the hope that Jesus provides that we're able to do anything for you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray this now in your beautiful name. We all said, amen. Amen. 